This episode is brought to you by Selby Anderson, the marketing group that helps businesses in complex markets win the future. Welcome back to Unicorny, the antidote to post-rationalized business books. This is the podcast for senior executives who want to find out how other businesses are building value through marketing. Last week on Unicorny, I was joined by co-host Sophie Norris, who is now Group Client Director at Selby Anderson, and we interviewed Nikki Davis, Director of Marketing Programs and Operations at Proto Labs. In our conversation, Nikki explained how thought leadership has evolved from the past, and we dived into the nuts and bolts of one of their aerospace campaigns. We looked at how it was conceived, how it was executed, when they expected a return on their investment, and what they actually got. We also discussed Protolab's tech stack and how they repurpose and optimize content. It's a fantastic episode, so please do make sure you give it a listen if you haven't already. Now, I know I say this every week, but the quality just keeps coming. And today's episode is a must listen for every executive because today we are going to explore how you my dear unicorners, can build a data-driven growth machine. Now, we're all being told that a modern marketing campaign has to be data-driven because machine learning and data can supercharge your results. A data-driven growth machine can give you an understanding of how your marketing investments drive revenue, and they can sort of lead you into what to prioritize. It can free up time. It can make the life of a marketer easier, maybe even more interesting. Well, that all sounds great, but how the hell do you build one? Moreover, how do you build a data-driven machine that has a demonstrable benefit to both your company and your customers? Something that's going to help you be a maker rather than a taker? Well, that is what we're going to find out today. My co-host for today is the indefatigable Samantha Losi, Managing Director of Unity, which is an award-winning communications consultancy focused on creating, cultivating, and completing brands through human insight and data-led approaches. Hmm, that's going to be handy. And we're going to be interviewing two guests today, Jordan Gillett, ULife's Head of Demand Generation, and Lauren Berkemeyer, ULife's Chief Marketing Officer. ULife is a UK-based insurtech company that transforms traditional insurance and employee benefits into life-enhancing experiences employees both value and use. ULife's mission is to turn financial products into a force for good. And one of the ways they're achieving this is by building a data-driven growth machine that helps them hit their KPIs, improve the well-being of their employees, and give back to their customers. So that is what we're going to talk about today. And in our conversation, Jordan and Lauren go through exactly how they designed their growth machine, how they use the model, the tech that supports it, and the data it delivers to ensure relevance. Later on, we discuss the double-edged sword of tracking, and the guests explain why being agile is important if you want to thrive in the coming 12 months. And finally, we wrap on the concept of giving more than you take. But before we get into all of that, let's learn a little bit more about ULife and what it does. So let's immediately say hello to my co-host, Samantha Losi. Hello, it's so nice to be back. And to Jordan. Hello. And Lauren. Hi, great to be here. It's great to have you here. Lauren, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, ULife and the marketing setup there? 
So I lead the marketing for ULife and ULife is insurance like you've never seen before and really kind of stems off of that theme, give more than you take. So we are an insurance company that inspires everyone to live their best lives. And this is in the lens of employee benefits. So what we do is we provide the critical benefits like life insurance, income protection, while also delivering an incredible app that incentivizes and rewards employees for healthy behavior. And whether that's walking, cycling, meditation, it's it's really for everyone. And you can earn both financial rewards as well as make social impact through planting trees or donating meals to the Ukraine. And the other element that's really important is supporting the well-being from a preventative standpoint, whether that is mental health support or virtual GP. And so it's really that kind of all-in-one um, incredible benefit that companies are offering. So Lauren, maybe you could uh, help our listeners out, uh, give them a bit of an understanding of your marketing department, how you structured it and its scope. So I've structured the team very methodically around individual expertise, and that really ties into a squad structure. So we have revenue operations, we have demand generation, we have product marketing, then we have content PR and brand, marketing design, and account strategy. And that essentially then encompasses, so far there's 20 individuals making up those groups, and it's um, very cross-functional and and cross-collaborative, but really hones in on, on that expertise. Jordan, you are leading one of the squads. I am, Demand Gen. Tell us about it. So in demand generation, we currently have a team of four. We have a demand gen marketer who's focused more on that performance marketing side. So more of the paid. Uh, we've got a PPC specialist that purely is PPC. And then we have uh, someone who's focused on events. At Uline, we've really seen a lot of value in events. Uh, and then customer marketing as well that supports on campaign driving to our customers. And your ethos, uh, you know, metaphorically of putting in more than you take out actually is kind of very similar to one of our founding principles. I see the world in fairly polar terms. I choose to see people as either makers or takers generally. And now I won't let takers anywhere into my personal professional life. I'm only interested in collaborating with people who want to bring more than they take. So I think we are all a perfect match today. Uh, I'm looking forward <laughs> to this conversation. But I was just saying to Samantha actually in our preamble to today's show that you shared an, in- an infographic with us depicting the demand gen machine that you've built. And I think that's really cool. It is. It's incredibly cool. And I'm super interested to hear about how it works and how it goes together and kind of how you guys designed it and then hear about it in principle. And for those of us who are kind of listening who would like to see it, you can go to selbyanderson.com and it's there. Obviously, I'm sure it's a simplified version because there is a very, very big secret around the absolute version, I'm sure. But why don't you guys explain for us a little bit about the model and how it works for those who maybe aren't looking at it, even the simplified version? (laughs) Very early on, we identified that you know, the success and the growth of ULife was the sum of the parts. And so we define this growth machine in alignment with sales. And we even coined the term smarketing <laughs> as it relates to how we're really working collectively as a team. And that success is all starts with the who are we speaking to and how are we targeting individuals in the most meaningful, relevant way. I would say our growth driven machine has three components. There is naturally marketing, which is a lot about automation, education, influence. We have a series of tools that enables us to identify who we should be targeting from a relevant perspective. So for example, a tool like ocean.io, that is a tool that will look at our audience and our current customer base and identify lookalike audiences. So we essentially can then make sure that we use precision targeting and we're very um, relevant to the audiences that we are speaking to. You know, a lot of the activity and whether that is events, PR, 
even awards and the content we build is all very much looking at our core um, ideal customer profile and making sure that we really are igniting and really giving more than than we take and educating those audiences. And on that, is that something that you guys refine, hone, change, regularly kind of update? I presume that when you've got such an AI-based learning machine as a marketing hub, you can really refine those profiles and kind of bring them back all the time to new behaviors, modifications, and kind of really bring everything into the funnel in a much tighter way. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. So we look at different data points to identify propensity. And what's interesting is is that can be anything from a Glassdoor score, because as I mentioned in the beginning, we're in this employee benefits space. And so if you look at, you know, what are employers using to attract talent, to retain talent, to really ignite the culture of their organizations, Glassdoor can be a real indication of both what businesses are doing well and then what business where businesses are failing and really identifying some critical challenge areas. So I think there's many different tools and many different mechanisms. We also find there's a sweet spot in terms of when a new HR leader enters a new business. They are essentially coming in, looking at the tools that they're providing employees and essentially then identifying that actually we could be leveling up how we are supporting our teams. So it's it's constantly evolutionary. And I would say as our business has grown, we then use the success of other organizations we're working with to guide and use that as almost best practice. Yeah. Jordan, this must be an incredible tool to be able to work with and use. And you mentioned events and kind of how well they work for you. Do you think part of the reason that they work so well is because the way the model functions, you've been able to really hone in on having exactly the right people with exactly the right kind of dynamics at those events? Yeah, I think so. We're constantly reevaluating. Like, is this what we want to do? Is this right? And it's building this model that actually is constantly evolving like the market is constantly evolving so we have to constantly evolve with it and i think yeah to your point with events you know we do do a lot of market segmentation and try to understand who our potential audience is and so you know it primarily could be that it's the right people come in but it also could be that it's really good awareness to people that we're not targeting to you live where the event is something that's really of interest to them i think you know one of the big things that we've always tried to do with events is be topical and be relevant so i do think it's a it's a mixture of both of ensuring that we are relevant but you know using this tech stack to really hone in on who we want to target you mentioned the segmentation word and particularly in b2b these days i think a lot of people rush straight into promotion before they've actually done the basics i think segment Segmentation and then targeting, um, maybe becoming a bit of a lost art. Can you talk to us a little bit more about your approach like to segmentation and the data that you use to help segment your market and then work out who you're going to target? So when we look at segmenting our audiences, I think there's a bunch of different criteria. So I touched on Glassdoor. There's also what is the composition of that workforce, whether that workforce is frontline workers, office-based. You know, are they typically... Um, working in a warehouse and how do you then impact and support those individuals, you know, versus versus being in an office environment. We also look at very simple things like renewal dates. When I say we've worked and now we're in scale up stage, but when, when you talk about you do work for a startup or a scale up, a lot of the times the question I get asked is, are you an and or an or? We are, I would say we are playing in both spaces. So what's, you know, really, and I think we're really proud about is that we are targeting and segmenting audiences who have never bought insurance and protected their teams. And this is the small businesses. 
of the UK. 85% of small businesses do not currently offer life insurance. So we have a a mission to really help decrease that protection gap. The way that we talk to those audiences is a much more holistic message. They are at a less mature phase. So it depends on really the education that's required and the maturity that business is at. Now, when you are an or, I would say that's where we're we're the switch. So we are winning business away from the, what you would call the 800 pound gorillas because we're driving and delivering more value maybe that they had seen before from a traditional insurance provider. In that case, we oftentimes get much more media into the ROI, into the into the proof metrics. And we also look at vertical and we also, in many instances, need to rely on case studies and proof of concept to actually show. Before I would say, take that leap to the wild card. Now I would say we're, we're kind of out of wild card status. But, you know, it's really about talking and, and identifying the criteria that really makes those audiences tick. And Jordan has done a phenomenal job in that targeting and really not only driving that through events, but even as it relates to the thought leadership that you deliver from an ebook, it needs to be actual content that doesn't feel like advertorial, but feels like that these communities can really learn from. And we've noticed a lot that mindset plays a huge role in where they sit in the segmentation, particularly for SMEs, where they're at the developmental stage is one thing, but also their mindset around growth. Is that something that you kind of have built into the model and have an approach around as well? Is that something that you segment by? Because I think that's quite unusual. Yeah, absolutely. With targeting, we identify the ones that are scaling and and actually, you know, have the same problems that we've had as a scale-up and we've actually run a specific campaign to these people that the the messaging really was you know we've been there so we can help you scale. I recently went to um, Edinburgh to film a case study with one of our clients who had joined ULife with 32 employees and we're now around 350 employees and their uptake was still 80% and they just you know embedded it into their culture and really understood what we would we would do in and so it definitely works a lot better when you've got people who are on that journey and want to scale and want to offer things for their people it, it makes our job so much easier to target. You have that difficult thing as well don't you when you spoke to the kind of the rational messaging the ROI the kind of the case studies the things that speak to often that number cruncher who will make the decision ultimately about whether or not something's going to happen. But then you've got often in small businesses, uh, you know, that CEO level who will want to be affecting the culture and will want to be affecting the kind of the direction at a much more emotional level. What's the balance in terms of how you guys message that out? And do you find that you have to root more into the rational messaging because of your kind of position, even though ultimately your brand really speaks to the emotional component? I think that most purchase as a beard by emotional marketing. It's core to us as you life. We're an emotional brand. We affect people's lives in a positive way. And, you know, I think that having that emotion followed by the rational buy is actually how we market. And I think we also, you know, work with personas as well. So around that messaging, around that targeting is the different, like the CEO that does want to affect the culture and is emotionally buying, you know, we will target to that. But then we also have the FD that might actually just want to see the ROI and might actually just want to see the the numbers. And so we kind of have messaging towards that as well. So we understand that there's a different segmentation of buyer, but I do think that the nature of our brand, the the messaging always leads with emotion. Jordan's bang on here. Fellow marketers, take note, because it's easy to get caught up in the conversation about balancing emotional and rational messaging when it comes to marketing. You know, most people assume that finding a balance is important. 
Not so. That just isn't the case. As Jordan just said, you need to consider what your brand actually does. You need to consider what's actually on brand, what promise your brand makes, and whether your actions are keeping that promise. Ulife's purpose speak to the emotions of their customers so they focus more on that kind of messaging. It's how they demonstrate they're keeping their brand promise. So our learning? Don't try to find a balance between emotional and rational just for the sake of it. Keep true to your purpose. Keep true to your promise and you will build your brand. This episode is sponsored by Selby Anderson, the agency group that helps businesses operating in complex markets win the future. Selby Anderson's agencies serve global clients in financial services, enterprise tech, channel, industry, utilities, pharmaceutical and biotech. If you want to win the future, find out more at selvianderson.com. You're listening to Unicorny with Dom Hawes, powered by Selby Anderson, the marketing group that helps complex businesses win the future. Coming up, Jordan and Lauren explain how you can build your own demand generation machine. We also discuss how Ulife utilizes campaigns and how marketers can plan in times of great uncertainty. But first, Samantha has a question about how the different squads hunt, nurture, and automate work and integrate within the model they've designed. Take a listen. I noticed in the model you've got these kind of three components, hunt, nurture, automate effectively. How do the different squads, are they focused on different components of the model or is it very integrated in terms of the way that that you kind of come at utilising the squad model that you have within the marketing team? I think we're all uh, over the machine. I, I don't think that any one team or any one squad is supporting just nurture or just hunt or just automate. I think that's what the key of the model is everybody working together to achieve the same output. So I wouldn't say, you know, demand gen purely focuses on hunt, which we, you know, is a large part of demand generation, right? But um, we also play into nurture and we play into automate as well. So I'd say that we're all on that journey together. And that squad model, when did you bring that in? Did you bring that in really early? Did it exist before? And what was it that made you want to kind of work with that? I presume that some of this model impacted the way that you wanted to structure the team as well. The squad structure was inspired by our chief technology officer, Josh Hart, who naturally in a product organization, you build squads. And, you know, as marketing, as marketeers, marketing is very vast and there are many disciplines within marketing. Within that, how do you play to the strengths of individuals in the best way, but also deliver strong accountability. And this squad structure really, which is very much a functional structure, enables us to really provide almost like these sub teams of accountability who really know what their North Star is, but actually cohesively work collaboratively together to achieve ultimately that growth at the end of the day. Um, So I would say all of those individuals functionally have a role to play in this machine. You know, hunting is very much the discipline that is critical for our direct sales team to be successful. But I would say it's a marketing discipline as well, because if you're not proactive and you're not hunting for new leads and and you're you're farming them in, the one, the quality is not going to be great and you're not going to be optimizing your total addressable market. Whereas I would say this, the intermediary market, which is our other route to market, it's more of an education. It's more of a nurturing process. So you, this is where you go back to, you know, who is your audience and how do you really create a meaningful interaction with that audience. On a broker level, intermediary level, it's they have not been used to um, 
change as readily as maybe an organization who, to Jordan was talking about, went from 50 to 350 um, and are, are looking at, at change all the time and it's happening every day. So that's been really important to really identify one way is not better than the other, but at the end of the day, you also need to automate the system. So for us, having um, a very robust um, discipline around our CRM has been critical. We use HubSpot and we actually have a very cohesive view of the full customer lifecycle from lead to close and, and to actually like continuing to evolve our understanding of that customer through key metrics along the way. Tell us about how you approach hunting and particularly how targeting works for you in that. We actually are quite fortunate that we have a revenue operations team, right? And so what they've done is they've created territories and these territories are built around the data that we've collected. You know, Lauren sort of mentioned Glassdoor, OceanIO, like renewal dates, etc. And then what we kind of do is build them internally into uh, a propensity model. Like, are they likely to close with us? Um, are they looking for new benefits? You know, are they a change makers? Have they changed their insurance in the last four years? Are people on Glassdoor talking about how good their employee benefits or how bad they are? You know, and so then we can really identify the, the accounts that we want to target. You know, in, in the larger ones, we can start to build out uh, ABM. Um, in the smaller ones, we can start to build out, you know, one-to-many and do vertical campaigns. And so it really is quite a smart way to, to do that targeting because we're not spraying and playing in every single sector. We're really trying to hone in on what is worth our effort as a business. How does the model work when you're kind of utilizing campaigns? Do you have campaigns that function across all of it? Do you do brand level campaign? How does that work? We have brand level campaigns. We want to get the message out there of what you life is, but then we do start to, you know, tear down. So then we have that one to few, which is more verticalized campaigns. Where do we do well? We have a lot of data on what we've already closed, you know, who our current customers are, etc. And then, you know, the one to one, which is more high value ABM that we, you know, we use that propensity model to, to work out who should we be targeting. I often find that in models where you've got that kind of, you know, tear down, which is what you absolutely have to have, what can be tricky is the connective tissue between how, for example, a phenomenal ABM campaign maybe works with your PR team or works with your kind of earned, owned and content. And they, they can be quite siloed. I presume that what you guys have managed to do is create something that's super integrated and means that actually you are pulling all the levers at the same time or the levers that you need to be pulling at the same time as opposed to the kind of the classic thing with a larger organization where you might have something that activates in isolation and then you don't get all of the other kind of pieces of the puzzle coming together. Yeah, so what I've built actually is a campaign crew is what we call ourselves and we meet every single Tuesday on a morning and we go through all the actions of what campaign we need and that campaign crew it has the content team it has the design team it has the people from demand gen people that need to action that week and then everyone knows what they're to do that week what, what is on their to-do list as it were and you know where are they playing a part in the, those campaigns as well you know content are producing these amazing ebooks and whatnot but they don't release them so then you know that then gets passed on to demand gen well actually the content then gets passed on to design and then the design article then gets passed on to demand gen to build that campaign around and you know and we follow that same structure with all the the campaigns whether that be abm whether that be sector based or whether that be the big brand activations so for the benefit of our listeners if they're trying to build a demand gen machine from the ground up where do we start 
At the very core of a demand gen machine are the people operating that machine. So you need really good talent who, you know, Jordan had incredible experience from a demand gen perspective, but that it didn't stop there. The design needs to be strong. The revenue operational data capabilities need to be strong. This is from an individual competency. So I think there is a specialism that makes your team really great. Sometimes what companies do is that they will bring on a Salesforce or a HubSpot and then outsource quite a lot. And I get that question actually from our VCs a lot. Like, how have you decided what to outsource versus bring in house? You know, I mean, I made a conscious choice to only outsource PR. So we've brought all of our specialism in house and it really creates this incredible, not only team but a real accountability that's very clear. So we operate on, an, we have OKRs and we have KPIs that we're tracking towards. And I think that that accountability and that trust amongst the team is so critical. But at the end of the day, you also need to have the tools that really help fuel that fire. Now HubSpot, I would say most companies use 10% of HubSpot's capabilities or really any CRM for that matter. Many, many tools, and this is actually called a consumption gap where you consume something and you don't use it. Um, it's So that's really important to really identify for us the key tools, having a strong CRM that is operated by uniformly across the business with the same level of quality and commitment. I think a lot of people start from the tech first and then think, oh, I've got to find some people to run it. And it's, I'm interested in your observation that actually it all starts with the people and you build the tech around the people. People, not the other way around. I actually like empower the people to find the tech rather than get the tech to then be operated by the people. If the people aren't passionate about the tech, you'll have a bigger consumption gap. So you'll have a bigger gap in usage because there won't be a passion to actually actualizing the value of that tech. When you think about kind of how the tech is utilized, where does the kind of high level integration strategy come from that helps you to empower each of those individuals and their tech stacks to do all the things you need? At Ulife, culture is, is, is critical and we start with our company values, okay? And then that feeds into what our overarching strategy is that we define as a senior leadership team along with inputs across the organization. That then within those key strategic pillars, which we reinforce it on all hands every Thursday, marketing then has very clear a clear role in achieving those results. So we ultimately then take those key strategic pillars and then we define our own objectives and key results relative to getting towards those goalposts within those. So the OKRs that we set are quarterly, and those are typically like overarching cross-collaborative OKRs. And then we have monthly KPIs that really feed into our overarching strategy as a business that we share back to the team more widely and to show that everyone's like on track with the activity and what we're delivering. The challenge always with marketing is to measure accurately at a, a level in terms of all the different things that you're doing. Tell me, Jordan, about some of the ways that you guys measure Tell me about some of the things that you guys are able to track with the model that maybe other businesses aren't and that they could look to uh, think about measuring or think about kind of looking at how, how it feeds together. Ultimately, I track everything. It's one of those things, right? You know, so we track event sign up, we track clicks on, on ads, we track clicks on PPC, we track email open rate, you know, deliverability rate, we track every every single thing. And so, you know, whatever it is, whether it's a small email that goes out, whether it's a newsletter that goes out, whether it's one of our smaller events, whether it's one of our larger events, I will always ensure that I go back and have a look at what that open rate was, for example, because there's always something that you can learn from 
something you've previously done if it's um in ppc like is that the the best landing page that we've put out there is that the best content that we put on the landing page you know there's always something that we can keep learning from that's a bit that definitely motivates me to do better but i do think that there is also on the flip of that is that sometimes you can get too caught up in trying to track everything as well we did an ebook earlier on this year and it didn't perform as well as we thought it would perform and we'd done all all the things that you do in when you launch a marketing campaign and we actually took it back and we were like you know what the language on the the title is not very good you know actually the the ads were fine the the creative was fine the paid search was fine everything was fine but actually the bit that wasn't fine was the title of the ebook so we changed the title of the ebook and then off you go and and actually it did really well it's one of our most successful ones this year and so actually that wasn't something that tracking could really highlight to us you know it's never going to say to you your, your ebook is titled wrong but actually that was something that you know we got back together as a team slowed down a little bit reassessed and and that was actually something that you know we were able to do so it, it, it's a double-edged sword when it, when it comes to tracking. What is the one thing you couldn't live without? Easily um, data. And to Lauren's point earlier, this is the biggest data set I've ever worked with at a company. And I think that's so, so powerful. And I don't think companies actually put in as much effort to data as they should. And I, I do think it comes from a mentality that you can win any business, especially in B2B, you can win any business. It doesn't matter. So it doesn't you don't need to have that data. Actually, all you need to do is, is do a shiny ad campaign and everybody will come flocking. But in reality, that's not the case. Budgets are obviously about to get tighter. You know, people have different uh, attitudes towards culture and different attitudes towards benefits and, and whatever else it is. But actually, when you've got that key insight, it can really support you not only to develop that lead and to generate demand around it, but it can also support the sales team then to actually close that lead as well. So uh, I think if you marry it all up, that's the one bit I couldn't live without. Well, unicornus, there you go. You heard it here. Data. It's all about data. Thank you very much indeed for some really good insight. And I think there's loads of great learnings there. We've got to that part of the podcast now where we're going to get our crystal balls out. But I don't think I've ever known such turbulent and uncertain times. It's like, what's the point in forecasting almost at the moment? Because who knows what's going to happen in the new year? So I know what I'm asking you here is almost impossible. But what do you think marketers need to pay attention to over the next kind of 12 to 18 months? Lauren? So I go back to my like kind of media editorial lens because I, I spent quite a long, long time in the in the media industry. And I think we don't do enough reading on what is happening in the in the moment in time. I think, you know, we we built a machine that is very agile and therefore we need to pump into that machine what is happening um, and really how we are connecting and resonating and igniting our audiences to really help them. I mean, we're in really challenging times right now, but what you don't want to do is create almost, you You want to be authentic in, in terms of how you are helping support our audiences, but but equally you have to really hone in on, you know, what is happening in the world and what, and how can, how can we go on a journey with our customers in a meaningful way where, you know, the trust is continuing to be built, but we can help guide. It's very important that you set up the, the foundation and the infrastructure to be able to be agile and fluid in the way that you work so you can respond effectively to whether that's trends, themes, challenges businesses are facing, um, and just read, listen to podcasts, and just really be 
learners of life, um, because that is how you can be like, I think, a more effective marketer. Jordan, how the hell do you go around planning when the world's so uncertain? Uh, you know, it, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> it's honestly the answer. I think that it's important to still keep playing in the space whilst a lot of people will dial down, down their budgets and and that's probably inevitable you know so it's easier said than done you know how do you manage this time but I do think that there is still the need for marketing through this time there is still the need to to be connecting with prospects people are still buying you know and so it's about being smarter and so one of the things that we've done is actually be quite targeted with our events we've honed in more on that matchmaking events and the ones that actually we get success from and be very fluid around that and and i think that's in part been quite helpful to our budgets when not through a difficult time so you know i think in other businesses as well i've seen it where you know december you book everything for the year i think remaining fluid is probably going to be the key to that we, we started the podcast out talking about giving more than you take talk to us a little bit more about the ethos for your community of giving more than you take yeah i mean for us when we look at you know, we look at our community and the, this is a community that is all about people, right? And this is a community that's giving more than they take every day. So for us, it's not about, Ulife has all these features and 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 a bit of a rah-rah celebration of our amazingness, which we believe, but actually it's about, you know, how do we inspire, how do we educate, how do we guide our partners, our customers on this journey to really help support people? And so that at the end of the day, Ulife is all about inspiring life. And how do you do that? By giving more than you take, by really giving inspiration, giving value, giving new ideas, inspiring through events that aren't about, you know, specific functionality, but more about how you might be able to think about like, you know, we recently had Davina McCall talking about menopause, shine a spotlight on women's health. That is really important. The evolution of that ethos means that you build trust and that you are ultimately a brand that people want to buy from. So I think there is a patience to that, but there's also a, a, a real method in that as well. Well, thank you very much indeed. It's been a really interesting conversation. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, that's the end of today's show. And there's loads and loads to get through. So let's get started. Something that really struck me about Ulife's approach is that from a distance, this growth machine or demand generation machine, it may seem complicated or like really difficult to implement particularly for other brands and companies who haven't made a start, but actually I don't think it is. Something Lauren said at the beginning of this chat comes back really to one of the key principles of marketing. So before they did anything, they considered who they were speaking to and how they were going to target those people. Basically, they oriented to the market and they oriented to their customer. So outlining that, it's the key piece of the jigsaw. It's the frame of reference, the basis. It's what you use to define everything else. So if you're a part of or you're leading a marketing team that's struggling to define your approach, start there. And the hard part is already done. Next up, when I asked Lauren how to build a demand generation machine, the first thing she said was, it starts with people. Although how we use tech and data, especially with AI, is definitely getting more refined, they are still just tools. They need a healthy pulse, a good head, and a human heart at the helm. And those people, by the way, they need to be talented. They need to be trained. They need to be supported and motivated if you want to get the most out of the technology you're going to ask them to use. Otherwise, however clever your strategy or however cutting edge your tech is, well, it just doesn't matter. And finally, I want to talk about the importance of giving. 
Lauren made a great point that giving to your customers, spotlighting issues, encouraging the well-being of people is good for your brand. But something we shouldn't forget, it's also good for your team. Throughout this episode, we've returned again and again to the importance of a motivated and talented team. If your team believes in your message and your purpose as a brand, they're going to want to come into work. They're going to give their very best to your business. So if you give more to your people, they're going to give more back to you. That's all we have time for on the show today. Big thank you to Samantha Losi for joining me as a co-host. And of course, thank you to the amazing Jordan Gillett and the fabulous Lauren Berkemeyer from ULife for being simply fabulous guests. On next week's show, I'm joined by co-host the gargantuan-brained Adam Greener from Digital Radish. And our guest is marketing supremo John Watton, VP of Marketing for VMware. And together, we're going to discuss how to scale a B2B tech business. In our conversation, John explains what you need to think about when you're building an integrated revenue generation engine. We discuss first and third-party data as a feeder for your engine. And we also talk about the importance of place in marketing and what's happening in the talent market right now. It's a great show. If you haven't already, follow this podcast and you'll hear our episodes first. Thank you for listening to today's show. Together, we're building a body of reference to make marketing work better for business. Now, it takes us eight to 10 hours to produce each and every episode of Unicorny. Please take the time to share, rate, and review us. Help us get found and help yourself at the same time because Unicorny is far more than a podcast. It's a community of leading marketing minds and pretty soon we're going to be running events too. If you're interested in joining our community, please get in touch by following the Unicorny page on LinkedIn or connecting to me on LinkedIn. My name is Dom Hawes, H-A-W-E-S. You've been listening to Unicorny with me, Dom Hawes, powered by Selby Anderson, the marketing group that helps complex businesses win the future. Unicorny is conceived and produced by Selby Anderson with creative support from One Fine Play. Nicola Fairley is the executive producer. Connor Foley is the series producer. Kazra Feruzia is the superb audio engineer and editor and the episode is recorded at terminalstudios.co.uk thank you for listening and we will see you in the next one this episode is sponsored by selby anderson the agency group that helps businesses operating in complex markets win the future Selby Anderson's agencies serve global clients in financial services, enterprise tech, channel, industry, utilities, pharmaceutical and biotech. If you want to win the future, find out more at selbyanderson.com.